And welcome back to our Q&A time. Our first question, this is a great question. In fact, I've already started a blog to answer this question. We're going to have a blog in a few weeks on this question. It says, what is your view on the just war theory? Just war theory. Great question. Like I said, I've already started the blog. Inspired me so much. I was like, I couldn't stop. I was in the shower thinking about it. Got out. Went to my computer. Started. <laughs> okay. No, no. Oh, I've got, this is a great question. A just war theory. So, so if you don't un- un- know what a just war theory is, it's the idea that... Um, that you can justify war. There are certain circumstances and situations in which war is uh, justifiable morally. Morally justifiable. And uh, we will talk in the blog about, well, what law lens are you answering the question for? Justice under what law lens? Doing the right thing under what law lens? Human law lens, imposed rules, inquiring post penalties, then one immediately concludes that, yes, there are certain circumstances where it's right to use force and power to compel and punish other people for some wrong if they cross some line of some kind. Um, and this is uh, then the arguments are about the just war. Well, what are those lines? What does it look like when it's appropriate? And then we have all the rules of war. I will tell you honestly, from, a, from my whole life thinking about this, um, the idea of rules of war... If you're actually believing the survival of the fittest worldview and not the biblical worldview, the strong kill the weak and they take over. And there are no rules of war. You whatever you have to do to win. Okay, that's the that's the true law of the jungle. If you wanna if you wanna use that as a and anybody trying to put rules on it is uh, is really playing games. And, and so this idea of a just war, what it really comes from, in, in my view, it comes from the fact that there's a God. And a Holy Spirit that gives conviction. And you cannot kill another person without feeling guilt and shame. And so you have to come up with a rationalization and a justification that tells you it's the right thing to do. And so you create constructs in order to justify going and killing other people. That's what I think ultimately is about. Read my blog this week, Prepare the King of the North, and you'll see this is a classic trap of Satan, and he's done it uh, throughout all history, where he has two, philo- two primary philosophical views, two core ones, those who don't believe in a God, a creator God, and those who believe in a creator God. And they, they're constantly battling back and forth through history and trying to get people to choose one side, but they both use the same methods of coercion, compelling power, and killing. If you look at... Um, uh, the idea of war in Scripture, and you look at the biblical, then, the, the, uh, we are in a war. But the war we're in, says, even for those who live in the world, we don't wage war like the world does. The weapons we use are not worldly. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to Jesus Christ. Okay, so our war is not a war over physical might and power. It's not over possessions, lands. It's over hearts and minds and the types of people and the methods we practice and how we treat others. And so Jesus said in Matthew 5, um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Uh, and then he goes, you know, you've heard an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Do not resist an evil person. When strikes you, turn the other cheek to him. In other words, and the reason why... How you treat others will determine the kind of person you become. And even if you find what you believe is a just cause to go to war, 
And, and we can make an argument that, that you're doing it out of love to restrain. For instance, imagine you have a two children, one's nine and one's four, and your nine-year-old is abusing your four-year-old, and you see some abuse from your nine-year-old to your four-year-old. You immediately will intervene to stop. But where is your primary concern? Most parents are looking at the nine-year-old, what are you doing? It's not, hey, are you okay primarily? There, there is that. Yeah, are you okay? But it really is, what are you doing? And you're thinking, what's wrong with this child? What needs to happen to get love in this child's heart and mind? I mean, your interventions are not to kill the child or hurt the child. It is to stop the abuse. But it's because you love the child. Even if you have that motive on some other nation state, and, you, and what are they doing? We want to help them. When you send people into war... How many of the people, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that you're sending into war, have that same mindset, and they're doing it out of righteous motive? How many of actually are being damaged and you're just, just destroying not just lives, but characters by the people you send to war? So, my view is that if you take the, and I'll put this in the blog, that the justifiable war is the war against lies, the war against fear, truth against lies, fear against uh, love against fear, liberty against coercion. So, what should have been done with Hitler, for example? Well, what did the apostles do with Nero, for example? No, they kept advancing the gospel. Please. They kept it. They didn't. They, it's not that they didn't do nothing. They kept advancing the gospel to win hearts and minds. See, if you, if we actually, if, if there have, would have been an active, genuine gospel ministry infecting, infecting, um, transforming hearts and minds in Germany, do you understand those people would not have been seduced by the lies of Hitler? They would not have participated. The fact that they were vulnerable is exactly what you saw during the last two years of COVID. I'm just going to tell you folks. It was a psychological operation against the people of Germany. Most of the people of Germany were good-hearted people. They had nothing in their heart that they wanted to hurt the Jews in their neighborhood. They were propagandized with a systematic, military-grade propaganda machine that slowly degraded their ability to see the Jews as equal and incited jealousy and saw them as a threat. They degraded them less human. And the same thing happened, was happening, and this had been happening over the whole COVID thing. It was a psychological operation to cause you to be fearful of something, to divide society, to see those righteous versus those wicked who want to cause disease, those who won't get the injection, they don't love anybody, they're going to hurt others, okay, to divide society, and ultimately make you fearful so that you will want more security from an authoritarian state that you will give your support to. That's what happened in Germany. A, a true discerning Christian mindset would have never fallen for it. Like those of us in this class never fell for this garbage that's been going on. You can go back and listen to us to the spring of 2020 and this whole thing that we saw through it from the very beginning. And why we saw through it from the very beginning is because the methods of God. The methods of God are truth presented in love, leaving people free. We do not compel. We don't do it. And we don't silence and we don't censor and we, we are open for our views to be criticized because truth loses nothing by investigation. <clears throat> and when we saw these methods being employed, we knew they weren't the methods of God from the beginning. Sadly, though, as we talked in our religious liberty um, talk last week, far too many churches 
and church leaders went along with the religious liberty encroachment of the state, shutting down their churches and church schools and, and many other things. It's very sad. Okay, next, next question. Can you talk more about the doors of the New Jerusalem being opened and where the Bible talks about this? Also about the fires that come from God through the New Jerusalem and out to the earth. Thank you. So the Bible mentions in Revelation, when you look at the New Jerusalem, it talks about when it comes down to earth, the, the, uh, the gates are not closed. The gates are open. It just says that. It doesn't put all the details together that you find in, the, in Ellen White's writings and the Great Controversy and other places. And she puts uh, other details together. Um, and this is at a Great Controversy, page 664 where she describes this, and this is what she says. At the last, this is at the end of a thousand years, uh, the New Jerusalem comes down from heaven, the context, New Jerusalem is back down from heaven, the wicked dead have been raised, a period of time goes by, and the Bible describes this period of time where the, where the wicked uh, build implements of war, and, and then after they organize themselves, after implements of war, they march upon the city to attack the city where the saints are, Okay, and this is what this is at that point. At the last, the order to advance is given, and the countless host moves on. An army such as was never summoned on, by earth, earthly conquerors, such as combined forces of all the ages since war began on earth, could never equal. Satan, the mightiest of warriors, leads the van, and his angels unite their force, forces for this final struggle. Kings and warriors are in his train, and the multitudes follow in vast companies, each under an appointed leader. With military precision and serried ranks advance over the earth's broken and uneven surface, uh, uh, uneven surface to the city of God. Now listen to this. By the command of Jesus, the gates of the New Jerusalem are closed. And the army of Satan surrounds the city and makes ready for the onset. So if the gates are closed at that point, when they march in mass to attack, what position were they in prior? They were open. Now, this is a very critical point, if you understand. At the end of the thousand years, when the wicked are raised, New Jerusalem is on earth, and the gates are open. Meaning any individual could walk in. No wicked person is kept out by God. Only when they march in mass to attack it do the gates close. This is a powerful evidence and demonstration that God does not determine the end of the wicked. They determine it themselves. Even with the evidence in the New Jerusalem on earth, they won't be converted, they won't submit, and they won't voluntarily come in. <laughs> Next paragraph. Now Christ again appears to the view of his enemies far above the city. Upon a foundation of burnished gold is a throne high and lifted up. Upon this throne sits the Son of God, and around him are the subject of his kingdom. The power and majesty of Christ no language can describe, no pen portray. The glory of the Eternal Father enshrouds his Son. The brightness of his presence, notice, the brightness of his presence. What's it say in Thessalonians? The wicked are destroyed by? The brightness of his presence fills the city of God and flows out beyond the gates, flooding the whole earth with its radiance. Who lives in the city? This is a great controversy, 664 and 665. Now, the point is, the fire is not harmful. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands stand in, according to uh, Daniel chapter 7. When the Ancient of Days takes his throne, rivers of fire come out before him. These are the fires of infinite love and infinite truth that burn out lies and burn out selfishness. And, and those wicked, when these fires finally hit them, they can no longer deny the reality of their own sin condition, their own sin history, the harm and pain they've caused others. They have full weight of their own guilt and shame, and they beg for the mountains to fall on them. They don't want to live in a universe of infinite love and truth. 
And this is how the wicked end in the end. Okay, next question. Because I've been trying to study the sanctuary subject from the design law point of view, and with all your helps, it is going okay, but I'm, I'm not sure how to understand uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, um, let's see, chapter 30, which says, quote, such was the work that went on day by day throughout the year. The sins of Israel being thus transferred to the sanctuary, the holy places were defiled, and a special work became necessary for the removal of the sins. God commanded that the atonement be made for each of the sacred apartments, as for the altar to be cleansed it, cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanliness of the children of Israel. Uh, and, and in particular, I'm having trouble with the sins are transferred to the sanctuary of the holy place. So I'd encourage you to read our document, The Heavenly Sanctuary and the Investigative Judgment for the Modern World. Uh, on page 11, uh, it uh, says the following about the blood metaphor. I'm going to read just from this. It says, uh, some may ask, if this is so, why use the blood metaphor of blood, where blood contaminates the sanctuary at one point, yet cleanses it at another point? Because the metaphor was needed to communicate concepts beyond the comprehension of the people at the time it was given, yet remain true to reality, and with which people of all uh, time could connect. All people have blood containing their DNA, and every person's DNA is unique, a unique transcript of them. It's a metaphor for blood is our identity, our individuality. Give a blood sample that's you, okay? So the blood is marked going into the sanctuary. It's a sample of each person who confessed sin, okay? It's a metaphor. But our DNA is filled with many defects, just like our lives when we give our lives to Christ. It's filled with many defects. Uh, The blood metaphor for the sin offering symbolizes the transfer of each individuality to heaven with all their residual defects, which signifies the contaminating of the sanctuary. Here's a quote from the same author. This is she was. This was uh, we read off of here was Patriarchs and Prophets. This is at a great controversy, page four eighteen. Day by day, the repentant sinner brought his offering to the door of the tabernacle, placing his hand on the victim's head, confessing his sins, thus in figure, transferring them from himself to the innocent sacrifice. The animal was then slain, the blood representing the forfeited life of the sinner, whose guilt the victim bore was carried by the priest into the holy place. So symbolically described here, what's happening is the when we confess in Christ and accept him as our Savior, our individualities, our identities, if you will, some will use the, some scripture uses that our names, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are registered or written or copied, if you will, into the heavenly sanctuary. Yet, when we confess and accept Jesus as our Savior, do we have many defects in us still? And so our sins or our sinfulness, our corruption is, is carried there in faith. And then we describe in here the work of the cleansing of the sanctuary is cleansing the people of all the defects and restoring. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And it's a restoration of Christ's likeness within us. And so that's what's actually happening. I was reading Desire of Ages, page 300. She says, by every sin, Jesus is wounded afresh. Does she mean in his heart? With all the, with all the sin going on daily in this world, how is this possible for him to receive the sorrow? And so here's the, here's the paragraph. We all, we often sorrow because our evil deeds bring unpleasant consequences to ourself. But this is not repentance. 
Real sorrow for sin is the result of the working of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals the ingratitude of the heart that has slighted and grieved the Savior and brings us to, in contrition to the foot of the cross. For every, by every sin, Jesus is wounded afresh. And as we look upon him whom we have pierced, we mourn for the sins that we have brought, ang- that have brought anguish upon him. And so the point here, this is a description of his, of, of, this is a word picture designed to describe for us the pain we cause Christ to, to bring us to a point that we don't want to do that anymore. This is, this is a word picture. Uh, this is not saying that when we sin, somebody is in heaven driving a nail in Jesus' hand and wounding him again. This is not what that's saying. He's not wounded afresh physically. But if you're a parent and you have a child, and you have a child that is maybe got an addiction problem, and you've done everything, you got them in rehab, and they've, and they've been clean for, for, for three weeks, three months, three years, and then they relapse, and you see them on the street again, strung out, and it, does that wound your heart afresh? That's what it's talking about. All of our sins hurt him because he loves us, and when we recognize that, 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 that can be a motivator for us to go back to him in repentance. Okay, um, how do you recommend counseling a patient with schizoid personality disorder? Schizoid personality disorder is not schizophrenia. Schizoid personality disorder are your classic hermits. These are people who have no actual desire for human relationships. They tend to never get married. They have no romantic interest. They prefer isolation. They're at peace in isolation. They get stressed in company of others. Uh, and so generally you don't counsel people with schizoid personality disorder because they are not interested in having counseling. It would actually stress them out. And But if I were to counsel, then I would suggest a person with schizoid personality disorder uh, find a occupation in which they don't have to interact with a lot of people, maybe a night guard somewhere uh, where they can be productive in society and contribute uh, without having a lot of social contact because that only causes them more anxiety. This is different than the avoidant personality. They can look similar functionally because they both avoid people, but the avoidant personality is somebody who longs to be with people, desires it, but is fearful of rejection and fearful of embarrassment, fearful of shame, and based on their fear, they avoid people because they're afraid people won't like them. The schizoid has no concern with people's opinion at all. It doesn't matter what people think of them. They just don't care, really, to be in relationship with people. Jesus described that there are some people who are um, born or better off being eunuchs, being, being alone, is what he's describing there. And that's because neural wiring is different in some people because of sin. And so um, how do you counsel? I counsel them to, to find an occupation in life where they can be productive and have as little interaction with people that causes them stress as possible. But you don't fix it. It's not resolvable, as far as I know. There's no, there's no intervention that changes that. Unfortunately, I was unable to complete the live afternoon class on religious liberty last week. Could you please list where we can find the complete uncensored video? Yes, on the homepage of our website the very website that you typed this question to. It's on the homepage, and it's right there from Religious Liberty. You can find the whole uh, um, the link to the entire video, and you can also down, um, download my, my notes from that. Um, I'm currently using YouTube, Roku, and your website, but there are some other sources that would provide recent se- uh, seminars more consistently. Uh, the most consistent place to find all our materials would be our website. And then when you hit the link at our website, it will take you to where it's... it's, it's um, Loaded, and, and I think it's actually loaded on Odyssey, but um, the link is there on a homepage. Yes? Because I was looking for that too, like a couple weeks ago. It was kind of hard to find. Uh, it was on the sub, well, the sub menus. It wasn't just like on the front page, so you can't go through. So, right here on our homepage, there's our homepage. Second item on the homepage discussion on the changing landscape of religious liberty. Homepage, front, front there. 
So, what is Dr. Jennings' um, thoughts regarding Novavax, uh, non-MRI vax for COVID, um, made with traditional methods of vaccine? not spike protein or in the MRA uh, vaccine. It is being tested in Indonesia, Australia, India. Excellent results in March. Well, first off, I said this from the very beginning, and I'll say it again. The illness is not serious enough nor virulent enough to warrant a vaccine, period. It never was, and it doesn't need one. Okay, If they make one, then the only persons that you should even ever consider getting it would be somebody who is whose life expectancy is near death and the slightest little um, health stressor could kick them over the edge. Somebody with, uh, with uh, cystic fibrosis, somebody with uh, a, a, a terminal cancer, somebody who maybe is 85 years old and multiple illnesses. Uh, very frail and sick people perhaps could benefit because they couldn't tolerate um, the actual illness. But essentially everybody else from the very beginning, let me just, the lies about this from the very beginning, do you remember we were told that about 3.4% of people in the community would die if they got COVID from the very beginning? So well, millions of people may die from this. That, that from the very beginning when they told that, when the NIH said it, when the CDC said it, when Dr. Fauci said it, they all knew it was a lie when they said it. Where that number came from was... Uh, the initial group in Wuhan that was uh, hospitalized, uh, got infected. There was an initial, the infection broke out in Wuhan. It spread through the community. Some people got mild symptoms, didn't go to the doctor, sniffles, cold. Some people got moderate symptoms and just did the, you know, the Tylenol type thing. Some people got more serious, went to the doctor and got an inhaler, went home. Some people went to the ER, were able to be treated and gone. Some people went to the hospital so sick they couldn't be sent home. They had to be hospitalized. And that group of people, they were so sick, had to be hospitalized, 3.4% of them died. 96.5% of them went home. They survived. But they took that number, 3.4% of the sickest of the sick are the ones who died, and they applied that then to the population at large, which means they didn't include everybody who was infected that had mild symptoms and never even had to go or got an inhaler and then went home. All of those people, when you actually include those numbers from the very beginning, it was less than 0.1% of people that were dying, less than 0.1%, which means it's actually less lethal from the seasonal, than the average seasonal flu from the beginning. And they knew it. It does not warrant a vaccine. It's not that virulent of a disease. We do, we've never had a true life-threatening pandemic. And I will tell you the data now shows that the interventions and mandates and injections have killed more people than the disease has killed. It's it's not even close to the number of people. And that number that that the mandates and interventions have killed will be increasing over time because several of these causes will now cascade down three and four generations. Like the millions, several millions of people have been driven into poverty because of these mandates. Millions. Poverty shortens your lifespan. Poverty changes child development. Poverty changes IQ. Poverty changes uh, education. And that cascades down generations. We have not seen the, 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 the death toll from these mandates that have been put on and the, and the, and the damage to the economies around the world. Uh, child abuse has gone up, markedly up. Child abuse shortens lifespan, causes more illness. Child abuse cascades down three and four generations are infected by, by, by the abuse that happens because of the epigenetic changes that happen in the child who's abused. Okay? We have not seen the end of this yet. If you look at the uh, Hopkins study that came out, looking at how many lives were saved from the mandates and the, clo- and the closures, 
We're prevented from dying from COVID. Okay, if you take the big inflated number of 1 million people in America who died with COVID, not from COVID, all the things we did for our society saved 2,000 people. If you take the more accurate number that, of people who died only from COVID and didn't have other causes of death at the time of their death, most of the people who are listed in that 1 million had at least three or four other causes of death besides COVID, like terminal cancer, COPD, diabetes, uh, heart disease. They had four, three or four other causes of death and COVID. If you take all those out and just list the ones who died of COVID, that number is 40,000 people. And thus, we, with all the lockdowns and mandates, we saved 80 people from dying of COVID. It's an absolute atrocity. And we have collectively, as a nation, participated in the greatest systematic child abuse in history. What the world? The school closures, the mask mandates, and if you inject them, you offer no benefit. Children have a statistically 0% chance of death from COVID. I think the uh, rate uh, from the 12 or 14 million uh, that, that, were, that were tracked in Britain, the, uh, the, the rate of dying in children under age 18, 18 0.00007%. More children will die from the injections than from the disease. And yet they're still mandating and recommending it. The corruption and lies uh, around this, And why is it that our church and so many Christian folks have not discerned this? This is a huge psychological warfare that has gone on in the minds of people to condition people to accept authority as evidence, authoritative rulings. And and in medicine, the medicine has been terribly corrupt with this. Doctors have been terribly, terribly susceptible to this. The CDC has come out with CDC guidelines. We'll follow the CDC guidelines because we follow the science. CDC guidelines are not science. They're opinion. And they're based from people who don't believe in God. It's a godless worldview. That's all I'll say. We'll move on. I could go, I could go on a long time on this. I've seen, my, I've seen many of my patients hurt by this. Can't tell you the number of people. And they've been hurt psychologically, emotionally, physically, etc. So many people. It's very upsetting. And I think it shows the church how how so many people in the church don't think for themselves. That's exactly right. So about that question, I wouldn't get any vaccine for this thing, and I wouldn't let them eject me with anything anymore. I don't trust these people. They have they have broken trust with me. They have lied. I I, I I have to stop. <laughs> if someone said, so, if someone said to show you the scripture that says you shouldn't smoke, ah, show me a scripture that says I shouldn't smoke. What would you say? Okay, I would say that they're probably very childlike in their understanding of how the world run, runs. Okay, if they because they're looking for a rule, show me the rule rather than showing me the laws of health. Do you actually need a rule? I would say I would say to them, well, I can't show you a scripture that says don't eat poison ivy salad. Should I fix you a poison ivy salad? 
Wouldn't you like to eat that today? There's no scripture that says not to. Why wouldn't you do it? I can't show you a scripture that says, Thou shalt not jump off the Empire State Building. You're going to do it? There's no scripture that says, This is such childish thinking. It really is. It's, it's also very adolescent. Adolescents do this. Um, if God will forgive us for having premarital sex, what's wrong with having premarital sex? I get that question from adolescents a lot. That's your, that's your view of reality when you think it's about rule breaking and getting in trouble with the, the authority. And if I will get forgiveness from the authority, then it, it can't be wrong, can it? Rather than design law, that every act of sin damages us, it changes us, it hurts us, it sears us, it warps us. Uh, well-meaning Christians in many prominent churches in Dallas suburbs are sincere yet every week on stage in singing time sermons and again last week in the Bible study it is taught over and over God is credited for is the author issue or orchestrator purposes the punishment of sin everyone receives believers believers are sucked into the legal penal view um, you talk about it's so sad I spoke with a wavy voice, why do we have to paint God as the punisher? He doesn't punish sin. Sin is his own punishment. Satan holds the power of death. He should get the credit for our demise. Uh, and we own, own or, or, yeah. Jesus offers to heal us from sin's natural consequences of death and the damage alone. Yet, the Bible language, tradition teaches, the penal perspective makes it very difficult to explain this perspective. Naturally, I was shot down. It's a deep issue. I basically feel considered a heretic. Yeah, you will be. Uh, and so I would tell you, um, let's see if there's a question here. Um, uh, the other teacher, okay. So I would, um, <clears throat> I would suggest you actually ask questions in the class. Ask questions. How do you understand God's law functions? Really, start, start there. And when you hear the word law, I've, I've presented at Baptist churches my view. It's accepted when I present it. They love it because, because they want to be able to not be afraid of God. And the teaching that, that is often taught makes them afraid of God, yet they're supposed to love him, not be afraid of him. And they want to be able to understand and integrate the scripture in a way that they can understand the Bible passage about punishment for sin in a way that they can still love and trust God. And so when you bring the, when you, when you get them out of imperial law into design law and they see what the Bible is actually teaching, they love it. I've, I have talked to so many, uh, other non-Adventist groups about this and they're actually easier to convert to this, the few than Adventists are. Just like the Samaritans were easier for Jesus to convert than the Jews. So, so I, I would start there. What are your thoughts on the current war going on? My thoughts on the current war going on is that, read my blog on the King of North, King of the South. It is a trap um, on the larger scale, on the spiritual scale, it's a trap. Um, but on the smaller scale, uh, it's, it, it, it's inconsequential to Americans, I'll just tell you. It is not consequential to us. Uh, uh, it is consequential to certain high-power brokers who have a lot of corrupt activities going on in the Ukraine, and they don't want it disrupted. Uh, but but uh, it's, and it's, it's not righteous. It's wrong, and my heart goes out to the people in the Ukraine. But the U.S. has no direct real interest over there. I'll just say that. I don't think it does, if you're looking on that national scale of things. And, I, and, I, and I'm not even convinced that this isn't part of a, of, of a more conspiratorial way of looking at things. I would just tell you, when you look at things like this, step back and ask the larger questions in the context of the great controversy. Who is benefiting? 
Who is benefiting right now from these activities? The media. The media certainly is benefiting, yes. Um, but, but, but who else is benefiting? China. China. Okay. Uh, I will tell you, if you look at what has happened uh, and go back and take every major policy action that the Biden administration has done since they've been in office and just give a scorecard and grade who got greater benefit, United States or China, on every policy decision they've made, everyone, you will see that everyone benefits China and hurts America. Everyone. You can't do that randomly. If you just toss a coin up, it's half and half. This isn't random. There's, a, there's an agenda. There are people that want America to function like China. They want, the, they want China, I don't know if you know, they have huge corporations that make big money. China does. Huge, huge. It's not like North Korea. I've been to China, traveled in China. Huge. But those corporations function at the behest and the will of the state. They make decisions that are designed to help China's influence around the world. Their, their programs. What was that, uh, what was that Wi-Fi? Uh, uh, tel- no, Huawei. Huawei. They're, the Huawei, which is uh, supposed to be like a Wi-Fi telephone network uh, system. 5G. 5G, all this. Yeah. That, that, that entire system by this so-called Chinese company that almost came into America and almost came into Britain, the entire hardware and software is infected with Chinese spyware. It's a government, it's, it's a, it's supposedly private, but it's government, it's, a, it's an extension to do the will of the government. And the people in China, they have a social credit system. If you don't do things that are conforming to the government's will, then you lose uh, social credits, that, and you, meaning you can't go certain places, you can't buy certain things, you can't uh, uh, pretend certain things. Your, your travel and, your, and your, your activity in the community is restricted unless you, do certain, unless you behave in the way the state wants you to behave. Um, the Great Reset wants a world this way, and they're looking right now to get rid of... Um, Currencies like we have the pound, the dollar, and so forth, and come with a programmable digital currency. You can read about this. You can go online and see this. And the programmable digital currency, when you get your income from your job, will be electronically put into whatever account that you hold, but it comes programmable. It's not just like your current, well, I do that now. I get, uh, I get electronic deposit. Yeah, that money is your money. You can go out and you can donate it to us. You can spend it on whatever you want to spend it on. Okay, programmable currency, though, will be that they will say, you know what, that Jennings, he teaches about, he's, he's against vaccines, he's against the COVID, uh, he, he's talked against uh, um, the way we've been censoring information because we want to protect the people, we care about, he's wanting to harm people with open discussion and free dialogue, and therefore, um, the money you get cannot be donated to Come and Reason Ministries. We will tag that money, and, and it's programmable, you can't donate it there, it's blocked. Or you've, or they may say, well, for the health, for your health, we realize that you're at risk for heart disease and obesity. Therefore, uh, your money can't purchase um, sodas. Sodas can't be purchased by you because that'll contribute to diabetes and heart disease and obesity. Uh, yeah, or you're only allowed to purchase so much hamburger a, a, a month uh, because we want you to eat more vegetarian food and it's good for the environment. And so you can only buy so much meat a month uh, because, and then, and then when you go to buy, no, you've already had your allotment for the month. This this is the this is the future that these people see. He's not making it up. This is you can look this up. You can look this up. It's all out there. It's public information. Okay, so 
the war, the war going on over there, it, it's part of a larger agenda. It's part of a, it's part of shifting your mind. Uh, in, in my view, here's what I really think is going on. We just finished two years of COVID. Two years in which the, the, the population has been completely preoccupied with a non-threat as a threat so that you will do things that are nonsensical like wear masks that have no effect, shut down your churches, shut down your schools, take an injection you never needed, uh, give more authority to the government so they can have an emergency situation to take more of your liberties. And now the evidence is coming out showing that everything that it was based upon was a lie and every action they take didn't work. And, and, and to try to divert you away from your righteous wrath to hold them accountable, we have to have a new crisis to occupy your mind. We need a war. Exactly right. And so uh, Russia is invading as part of the global distraction so that you will now be concerned with another threat. I'm not afraid of COVID anymore. I'm afraid of war. I'm afraid of war. I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of inflation. I'm afraid of oil prices going up. Oh, no. And we're going to see. You're going to see prices of the pump going over 4 or $5 a gallon. And it's all fraudulent. Understand, under Trump, we were, as America, energy independent we didn't need any oil or gas from any other nation. We were completely independent. As soon as Biden went in, he shut off various pipelines, shut off various production, started, if you think this isn't orchestrated, started buying oil and gas from Russia, yeah. which gave them money to have this invasion. And knowing it, he still doesn't stop. Right. And right now, instead of, and if you listen to this press secretary and his people this week, they're talking about inflation and gas prices. Does he say, well, we will open up the pipeline that we shut down and then we will be energy? No, we'll ask the Saudis to pump more oil and, and send more of our money to them. We, we, we are, well, this is what the consequence. And, and then you heard him. We have to fight for what's right. And that's going to require sacrifice for the people. This is, it's all fraudulent. There is no need for the gas prices to go up, for inflation to go up. This is orchestrated. It's purposeful by the uh, current administration to, to, to cause you to have more fear, to have more anxiety, to become more dependent, to destroy middle-income America so that you are more dependent on either big corporations or the government. This is what it's designed for. So that's what I think about what's going on with the war. And then there was one question I evidently missed. It says, what are your thoughts on God sending angels to the pastors and the magi from the east about Jesus' birth instead of directly protecting Jesus from Herod, told them to go hide in Egypt? Any parallels from the end of time? Here in Canada the last few weeks, we're chilling with regard to personal freedoms. Yes, your prime minister in Canada is trained as one of the globalists. He is, he is a graduate of their school, and he is not interested in the historical liberties of Canada. He is interested in bringing the globalist agenda and taking away your freedoms. He's claimed that of truckers blocking some f- highways in, um, in uh, Ontario. Uh, oh, shoot, what? Ottawa, thank you. Um, that, that, uh, that, um, that, that is a, na- a national emergency, and you have to take away the liberties from the people. I hope you guys can see that's fraudulent. Uh, just like, in, just like the, the, uh, poli- the certain political group in America, um, after a uh, January 6th protest at the Capitol, claimed and still claims that that was an insurrection to try to overthrow the government. Guys, think this through. Just think about it. Imagine we could get several thousand people to go to Moscow and storm the Kremlin and sit in the offices today in Moscow. 
would we now control the Russian government? <laughs> this was never an insurrection. Occupying office buildings has no authority to control any of the reins of power. This is a complete another lie, just like the whole COVID thing was. And, and it's just so sad to me that so many people online, there's so many people that, 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 that you know, talk about the insurrection of January. There was no insurrection. There was a protest. And it wasn't even violent except from the people who shot the protesters. Unlike what you saw in Portland and, and many other places. So this, it's designed to destroy your discernment and destroy your thinking. That's what's happening in the world. And I think, um, so this question here uh, about the angels, pastors going to the Magi. Uh, you know, the Magi were, were searching for truth. They were, they were reading the prophecies, it says. And uh, God responded and enlightened them, and they came uh, to, um, but they didn't warn Jesus, excuse me, they didn't warn Jesus' parents. I believe, uh, um, Joseph had a dream, didn't he? Yeah, uh, God warned Joseph directly, but it wasn't the Magi that warned them. They just came to worship him. And, uh, but evidently, the Magi but, refused to tell Herod, but the Magi refused to tell Herod because they were told a dream. Yes, that's right. But, but my understanding is the Magi's gifts enabled them to be able to afford to travel and live in Egypt. So God, God brought all those pieces together for them. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your truth. Uh, we pray for your pouring out of your spirit, the spirit of truth and love, that we can have greater discernment and that we can see and that we cannot um, you know, join these, these really corrupt forces happening in the world, but we can, we, we can warn the people to come out of Babylon, this corrupt, confused system, and back into your kingdom, and that your law of truth, love, liberty, we're written on our hearts, and we can be uh, agents for you at this time. We pray in your holy name. Amen.